well, I would like to welcome everyone. I'm so glad to see everyone here and those who joined us <laughs> online. We are um, glad that you were able to tune in to our service. Have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you that you are awesome? And I am um, so grateful for every one of you. And uh, it goes also for those who are watching <laughs> over the internet. Glad that we can worship together. Glad we can gather around God's word and seek answers in God's word. And um, um, my next presentation, which is right now, is what is under those seven seals? Well, the first verse in the book of Revelation says it's, it's revelation of, of whom? Of Jesus Christ, which, gave, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. I'm so grateful that Jesus is the center of the revelation. I decided to trust in Jesus. When I'm in difficult situations, the enemy is whispering to my ear, look, does Jesus really care about you? But the book of Revelation again reminds me that Jesus is the one who will see us through. Jesus is the one who is faithful. Jesus is the one who is, is able to make impossible things possible. He is able to, to take unfixable things and fix them in your life and my life. He is the one who is able to take his church that is consisting from people like you and me, and he's able to take this church all the way to the glorious day of his second coming. I'm so grateful that we have a revelation of Jesus Christ. And even when we have these scenes of uh, uh, fearful beasts and, uh, and things like persecution and natural disasters in the book of Revelation, let us remember that it's about Jesus, and he will, will see us through. Uh, so what are those uh, seals all about? Why we have seals? Um, well, the image of the seals comes again from the Bible. In the book of Nehemiah, when people wanted to, um, uh, to see revival and they wanted to start everything anew and they wanted to see God working in their lives, they made a covenant. And there was a group of, of people that decided to seal that covenant. And that covenant... It had their plan of what they're going to do to see God work in their midst. So why did they have to seal that document? Well, sealing means that they didn't want anybody to change what was written in that, in that document. It was a covenant. It was something they wanted to see that it would not change and would be uh, carried out the way it was written. So the seals, we see again in the book of Revelation that there is a scroll that is sealed with, with seven seals. Obviously, this scroll is the most important document in the universe because uh, John is taken to the very throne room of heaven and, uh, and he sees Jesus there with a scroll and he is given this scroll with seven seals. What is this scroll all about? I would like to suggest to you that this scroll is the covenant. It's a, it's a deed for the righteous to inherit the kingdom. It's an uh, official document that has your name and my name in it. 
Some commentators believe it's, it's the very book of life that Jesus is holding in his hands. Isn't it wonderful that he has your name and my name? When we trust in Jesus, he becomes a guarantor of that covenant. He is in charge. He is the one who, who made promises. He is the one who died on the cross for you and me. And so the enemy would have only one argument after Calvary. He would say to Jesus, look, yeah, you died on the cross, but the people, they are on my territory, and I will not let them come to you. I will make everything possible to put obstacles and barriers and make it difficult, and uh, then you will find out that your sacrifice was in vain. Because I'll find every way possible to keep those people in my kingdom. You remember his argument with God about Job? He said to God, look, you think Job belongs to you. I'm going to prove that he belongs to me. And then there is this unseen battle uh, behind the scenes, the battle uh, for Job. And remember the words of Job. Though he slays me, yet I will trust him. I belong to him. I am his. I know that on that day he will restore my skin and my eyes will see the Savior. Job stands firm because he knows that God is faithful and God is true. So in this great controversy, when, when Satan says, yeah, you died on the cross, but I, I'm going to keep these people in my territory. They're going to belong to me. Now Jesus has a scroll. He says, look, here is the record. Yes, it has a record of all the trials and difficulties that church will go through. This is the record of the story of the things that soon will take place. This is the journey of my church. Yes, they will go through difficult times, but I have promised, I have died for them. And this book, this scroll, proves that they will be in my kingdom. And so John is weeping. He doesn't know who's going to be able to open this scroll. Why there is such a problem? <laughs> what is the problem? Why nobody could open the scroll? To open the scroll, it means that the person who opens the scroll has to have the authority to back up what is written in that scroll. There is a negative uh, kind of story in the Bible we, we studied recently about Daniel. You remember we studied about, not Daniel, but King David and Uriah. And King David gives a scroll to Uriah with a death warrant in that very scroll. And the scroll is sealed, and it has to be delivered to the head of the army. Now, let me ask you a question. Could Uriah open the scroll? No. Why? Because he didn't have a right to execute what was written in that scroll. 
So that's kind of a sad story because he carries to the battlefield his own death warrant in his hand. But because it is sealed, he cannot open the scroll. So the seal needs to be opened only by the person who is authorized to execute what is written in that scroll. And Jesus is the one. Aren't you grateful for that? He is worthy to open the scroll. And the, and the question that still remains with the universe, can God legally justify the sinner <laughs> like me <laughs> and you before the whole universe? And how is he going to do that? Can we stand in the judgment and say, look, I've been an elder for 30 years. <laughs> I've been a pastor for 40 years. I've done this and I've done that. Would that work in the, in the judgment room of, of heaven? No. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Aren't you grateful that we are saved only by the righteousness of Christ and his blood that was shed on the cross? And he stands in the judgment as representative of those who decided to trust in him. The plan of salvation is going to be fully justified in the courtroom of heaven and before all the universe because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He is the lamb stained with blood ready to open the scroll. He has seven eyes and seven horns. A symbolic, uh, what does it mean? If you read about the dragon, he also has eyes and, and he has ten horns and all kinds of stuff. So what, what are those symbols? Well, the horns, they represent agencies and power through which, in the great controversy, the enemy is working through different agencies and powers throughout history to basically disrupt God's plan of salvation. But Jesus also works through agencies like his church. So he has seven horns in this picture, which represents seven churches. And we just, um, we, we, we can see the seven churches in the book of Revelation in the first vision that described the history of Christianity and how God was working throughout the history. So my friends, in this vision, there is Jesus there is this scroll, and there are also multitudes of angels. It says ten thousands of ten thousands of angels present in this courtroom of heaven. Why angels? I have a good news for you. The angels are there because in this journey that you and me are on, we are not alone. God has assigned angels as ministering spirits to assist you and me in this journey. So angels are also celebrating. They are also witnessing this heavenly scene because they are involved in the plan of salvation. When you think you are alone, you are not alone. You have angels to assist you. You have angels to protect you, even on those slippery roads or whatever you may be fearful about. Uh, God sends his angels. And only eternity will show and reveal how many times his angels had to, to do little extra work <laughs> to, to protect you and me or our kids. 
when they do all the crazy stuff, snowboards or, or, uh, or skis or you name it. Angels have to work overtime sometimes. But they're there to celebrate. They're there. So let's go to those seals and see what those seals are. The first seal. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the, of the four living creatures saying with a voice like a thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. What, what is the vision? It's a vision of horsemen and horses that um, is being opened before John as the seals are being broken one after another. The history of Christian church is being revealed to John. And he is able to see how God is going to, to work through his church, with his church, even through the hardest of times. As John is most concerned about the immediate destiny of the believers in the Roman Empire. How are they going to survive? How are they going to make it during the time of emperors? How are they going to survive in catacombs when they cannot meet openly to worship God? How are they going to make it? And Jesus comforts John. He says, look, there is a white horse. And there is a rider on the white horse. And he is going out to conquer. He is conquering and he is a victorious uh, symbol or representation of the church of the first century. God wants to comfort you too. When you're wondering, how are we going to make through this, through this thing? And... Uh, pandemic and, and, and all, of the, all of those things and political world around us. Jesus wants to comfort you today. He is the one on the white horse. He is the one who is in charge. He is the one who is in, in, in control and he is the one who will see you through. Look, <clears throat> in the book of Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, we read about the, the gospel going forward throughout all Roman Empire and civilized world. It says, so the word of God spread. How could it spread? When there was so much persecution, it says it did spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And how many priests became obedient to the, to the faith? A large number of priests. We thought those Pharisees and priests, they, they were just a bunch of hypocrites and, uh, and just uh, not very nice people. But in, in the book of Acts, we read that a large number of them accepted Jesus. A white horse is a symbol of victory. Even in Revelation 19, the same symbol of Jesus is riding, he's riding a white horse with angelic armies behind him. This is a symbol of victory. So in ancient times, there was no emails, no cell phones. And when soldiers are gone to the battlefield... <clears throat> families are waiting. They don't know what to expect until they see on the horizon that white horse. Yes! Victory is ours. We will be safe. And so Jesus is on the white horse. He is, he is representing victory. In other words, friends, the cross will not be in vain. This first seal shows that 
Jesus is victorious. Also, there is a white color, and white color represents purity. The church of the apostles was, was a pure church. Church, they, they wanted to be faithful to the commandments of God. And they wanted to obey God rather than man. So this period of the first horse can probably be like if we, if we go and start with the Pentecost, which is 31 AD, and we have the white horse. It covers the period of history until 100 AD, approximately. In one generation, basically, Christianity becomes a worldwide religion. Faith invaded synagogues, Jewish communities, uh, markets, army, even Caesar's household, in, we read in Philippians 4.22. The gospel was preached under, for, to every creature under heaven, Paul says. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, both men and women, Acts 5.14. The white horse period, God blessed his church because they were faithful, they were dedicated, they were working under difficult circumstances, but it was Jesus who made it possible to become a religion that entered every single um, layer of the society and the place in existing Roman Empire. Now, David wasn't, the, the devil wasn't happy about it, and uh, he needed to do something about it. So what would he do? How would he approach this, this thing? Now let's read about the next seal. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to, uh, to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. I'm thinking about the sword of Goliath was given to him a great sword. So next horse that is, is uh, shown as history of Christianity is being unfolded, it's a red horse. And red horse represents the blood of the saints. It's the faith that is now stained with blood. The fierce persecutions from, uh, from Roman Empire, they come against Christians because they... Uh, some things are happening. Look what, what John writes in the first century. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, uh, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Some people say, okay, Antichrist is going to be uh, after rapture and seventh year, seven years of tribulation in the future. But my Bible says that the spirit of Antichrist was already manifested how early? as early as the first century. And so Antichrist and his spirit is basically the system that wars against Christ and, and wars against God's church. And during this time, the fierce persecutions start against God's people. In the middle of the third century, Emperor Decius and Valerian, they passed 
edicts commanding all Roman suspects to sacrifice to Roman gods or face imprisonment or persecution. So if you don't go and sacrifice with everybody to Roman gods, then you will be persecuted. The most severe persecution began in 303 AD, led by Emperor Diocletian. And Christians, the true Christians, could not worship pagan deities, and they refused to worship them. Their motto was, we ought to obey God rather than man. Friends, why are we reading about this uh, history? The principles of faithfulness are the principles of God's church, and we will need those as we get closer to the time of the end. Amen? So we are reminded of the faith of, of, those, of those Christians that under persecution they remained faithful to, to God. An early church father, Tertullian, defended the Christian faith before the Roman magistrates, demanded that Christians be afforded legal rights to defend themselves. Nevertheless, it was, it was the period of, of very hard persecution that, uh, that continued. If we go like this and we... We put here 323 A.D. So we have the red horse. And I have the red pen. So it comes uh, automatically. Anyway, um, those are the periods that Jesus is, is, is opening in his, in his scroll. And he is opening those seals. What is he showing? He's showing that enemy will be against my church but I will be with them. I'll see them through. Satan's plans failed <laughs> again. Why did, his plan, well, why did his plan fail? Well, because persecutions did not bring the result and the, uh, the effect that he wanted to see. The historian Eusebius, um, he writes in church history, he says, we beheld truly divine energy and zeal of those who believed in Christ of God. For as soon as the sentence was pronounced against the first one, after another rushed to the judgment seat and confessed themselves Christians. To the first, one after another rushed to the judgment seat and confessed themselves Christians. They offered up hymns and thanksgiving to the God of the universe, till their very last breath. The, the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the gospel. So enemy had to come up with plan B. His plan A to persecute church didn't work. What was his plan B? What would he come up with this time? In Acts chapter 20, Paul is talking and he says, to the elders in Ephesus when he is giving his farewell uh, address to the church in Ephesus after working there for three and a half years, he says, For I know this, that after my departure, salvage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So he's talking about something that will start inside the church. He says, uh, From among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things. So, um, the enemy tried to persecute church from outside, which made church only stronger. So what would be his plan B now? He will try to work from, from inside. 
Paul is predicting apostasy from the truth that will start working its way from within the church. And unfortunately, this plan was more successful than plan A. So the third seal is open now. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands. In his hand. So what is this symbol of black horse? Notice the scales. The scales represent trading. I remember in Ukraine, I go to the market, and everybody who's selling their stuff, they have their own scales. And uh, you don't know if those scales are good or not good, but um, everybody has the scales. So it's trading. The church will trade something for something. It was the time of the compromise. Scales, they also represent compromise. For the sake of popularity, church will bring down the standards and would try to push away some Bible doctrines and truths to make it easier for pagans to come into the church. But at the same time, church is losing its purity and its faithfulness to Jesus, who is the head of the church. This is the time when the spirit of Antichrist is beginning to show its head, so to speak. And the purpose was good by the emperors. They wanted to save the empire that was crumbling down. So Constantine tells everybody he was just converted into the Christianity and he wants to convert the entire empire to Christianity. But unfortunately, it's the way of compromise to make Christianity attractive to pagan nations. During this time, church has buildings, has a lot of gold and ornaments, and it grows, but it's lacking in the power of the gospel. Unconverted people fill the churches. It becomes now a place of prestige rather than a place of humility, surrender, and Christian service. The statue of Jupiter becomes a statue of Peter. Now all the saints are getting worship along with Mary. A sun god takes place of creator, and Sunday takes place of the seventh-day Sabbath. In Daniel 8, chapter, chapter 8, and verse 12, it says, And he cast truth down to the ground, and he did all this and prospered. The time of the black horse is the time of the, of the compromise. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Let me suggest to you what was happening. The hatred against anything Jewish and getting rid of, of the scriptures would, would lead to only one option, is to accept Hellenistic, a pagan things that were popular in the rest of their empire. So when Bible is, is pushed aside, these doctrines are flooding the church and they become the main teachings of the church. What are those doctrines? Well, we know that the nature of man that is taught in the Bible was now replaced by 
Platonic dualism. I appreciate Logan because he teaches us that uh, our body is the temple of God and we need to take care of, of our bodies as well as our spiritual lives. We are created as a whole person. Now, Platonic dualism believes that and teaches what Greeks believed that your body is bad and sinful and, and, and dirty and it, it has to be uh, gone as soon as possible and then your soul will be finally freed from the cage of your body and will be now ready for heaven. So dualism teaching immortality of the soul that is placed in the cage of the bad and sinful body. Bible doesn't teach that. But this, also, this doctrine also leads not only to the teaching of immoral, immor, immorality and immortality of the soul, but it also leads to, to the doctrine of eternal hell. Because if the soul is immortal, where are you going to put it after the person is not converted and didn't live the life of the saint, quote-unquote? It would be going to eternal hell or the doctrine of purgatory. Oh, what did I do? The doctrine of the purgatory was invented also. What is purgatory? Well, if your, if your relative died and they were not so nice to you, but then you forgave them and you want them to be in heaven, you can bring some cash. We can help with that. Because they will be placed in a purgatory even if they are predestined to hell. But there is a place between heaven and earth that is called purgatory that will kind of clean them up and, and, and get them ready for heaven. And if, if you come to the priest and you ask him, are they already in heaven? He said, no, not quite. There is still work to be done. So um, that doctrine was again invented. Again, there is nothing in the Bible that teaches purgatory. But you see these doctrines, they are filling the church at the time of the black horse. And the other doctrine that came in was confession to the priest. And also indulgences that would be involved in, in the confession. Because you have to pay. There is a price tag for each sin. There is also an option if you want to sin for another three months, you can prepay for up to 90 days. You can prepay your sinful life. But you'll be okay because your sins are absolved. You see, all these doctrines came in place of the clear biblical teaching that forgiveness is free. Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do what? To forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the gospel. This is the beauty. But you see, during this time, the precious truths of the Bible are lost sight of. And uh, image worship is introduced in violation of the second commandment of God. And we have Sunday worship that is also introduced during this time. Jesus holds this scroll. He says, look, my church will be going through difficult times. I'm not, I'm not going to leave them. I'm not going to forsake them. I'll be with them, and, and there will be those who will be faithful. How do we know that? 
Well, let's look at the next verse. In this very passage, it says, when, when this third seal was opened, it says that I heard the voice in the midst of the, uh, in the, midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for the denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. This is during this time. We have three elements here, basically bread, we have oil, and we have wine. The bread represents the Word of God. It will be scarce, it will be expensive, because when something is, is not as available, the price goes up. So here we see the unusual price for wheat. And it says, do not harm the oil and the wine. Now the oil in the Bible represents the Holy Spirit, which means that the Holy Spirit will continue to work during this time. What about wine? Wine in the Bible represents the blood of the covenant and the forgiveness of Christ. So the, the work of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of Christ were always available through those times. Jesus is with his church. He is with his people who are sincere and wanted to follow him. So uh, this particular period, um, it covers the history. Again, we have the black horse, and it covers the period until... 538 A.D., and we have Black Horse. It brings us to 538 A.D. And then the fourth seal is open. We go to the Revelation again in chapter 6 and, and verse 7 and 8. When he opened the fourth seal, it says, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. And so I looked and behold a pale horse. And he came and the name of him who sat on it was death. And Hades followed with him. It really breaks my heart. What is this pale horse is all about? Pale is the color of, of death. In fact, the word in Greek that is used is it's describing a yucky greenish-yellow color. <laughs> yucky greenish-yellow color. Uh, something that is decaying. Something that is, is being decomposed. What does this represent? And the writer's name is Death. And Hades, basically, in some translation it says, and hell followed him. Hades is basically a transliteration from a Greek word, Hades, which means the grave. So there is a death and there is a grave that followed him. After the compromise, after the church has gained all the popularity and prestige, from heaven's perspective... The vision is shown to John that all the gold, all the big cathedral, everything that was pompous and, and growing and, and popular looks like decaying corpse. Wow. There are two perspectives on everything. There is an earthly perspective. Of, of, that's the way people see things. And there is a heavenly perspective how God sees things. 
And so while church was gaining all the popularity, but when God's, God's word is pushed aside, when the doctrines of God, when the commandments of God, when the true confession and true spirituality is replaced by images and, uh, and uh, uh, indulgences and all of those things, and false doctrines of eternal burning hell, an immortal soul, and purgatory, and Sunday sacredness, and image worship, and the list goes on and on and on. To God, the church looks like a dead church. Because the main thing that was removed from the church was Christ himself. It was replaced by the ministry of the priests. They took place, place of Christ himself, and they took his authority and his privileges and his ministry upon themselves. The historian James Warray, he writes, when Christianity became the established religion of the Roman Empire and took the place of paganism, it assumed in a great degree the forms and rites of paganism and practiced in no small measure of its spirit also. Christianity as it existed in dark ages must be termed without much impropriety of language, baptized paganism. I want you to see the reversal of roles. I don't know how to picture it, but you can picture it in your mind. Um, just compare this fourth horse with the first one. How did the church look in the first century from human standpoint? Christians were in catacombs. They were persecuted. They were in hiding. They were basically nobody in the society. But from God's perspective, it's a victorious and strong and, uh, and growing church. Now we come to the fourth horse. From man's perspective, the church is the most glorious institution on the, in the world. It's growing, it's strong, it has all kinds of gold and all kinds of priesthood and all kinds of uh, buildings and everything. But from God's perspective, how does that look? It looks like a dead body. Wow. The question for us is today, how do I look from God's perspective? Men tend to look at the heart, but, uh, at, at outward appearance, but God looks at what? At the heart. Is my heart fully surrendered to Him? Do I belong to Him? The Bible says that He was also given a sword. He was given, it says, to them over the power over the fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and hunger and with death and by the beast of the earth. So this is a persecuting power. Anybody who does not agree with the mainstream Christianity during this time would be severely persecuted. Historians tell us, that, tell, the, tell us that they took the um, tools of torture from a Roman empire and then used them in the church to torture its own members. It's unbelievable. But I went to the museum that showed these tools, and I won't show you all the 30 tools, because in the museum that I attended, uh, I visited, there was 30 different tools that were used during this time. If I show you all those tools, it would make you uh, very worried. I'll show you just a couple. 
To the left is the seat of Moses. So if you want to believe Moses and you want to follow Moses, that's what you get. You, you, you're placed on the seat of Moses. And you bleed to death. And this tool is here is a, it's called a Spanish boot. The Spanish boot was used to, uh, they would, would use this thing to kind of slowly break your leg, break this bone very slowly. Your leg is placed in the foot, in the, in the boot, and then it's been tightened, tightened until the bone is slowly broken. The tools of torture that were used are unbelievable. Bible says that this was the darkest time. Even, even secular historians, they call this period the period of dark ages. So it, it continued until roughly 1517 A.D., and it's a pale horse. I'm convinced that the word of God is true. Because this was all predicted before anything happened. Jesus is holding the scroll. He says, yes, my church will go through a very difficult time. But I can guarantee that I will see them through and I will bring them home. Do you believe that Jesus will bring us home? Jesus will not forsake his church. His covenant will not change. And in fact, he promises in his word through the scripture in Proverbs 4.18, it says, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines even brighter until the perfect day. God will shine the light. How he's going to do it? How he's going to shine the light in a darkness like that. Are you fearful today? Are you fearful of what, what might happen in the, in the near future? Many people are fearful today. That's why we have a seminar, Living Without Fear. So the question remains, what can help you and me and what helped the church during the most difficult time in history? If you give me another five minutes, I will share a little story of my life, what helped me when I was overwhelmed with fear. I was 17 at the time. And it was mandatory in the former Soviet Union that everybody would be Every male would be drafted to the army for two years of voluntary free service, 730 days in the boots. And those boots were heavy. And everybody has to do it, cannot escape it. And I had a lot of fear because I heard all kinds of stories about army. Even if you, even if you are not a believer, you would face quite a bit of stuff. The worst thing in the army was grandpas. Grandpas were not those grandpas that love you and care for you and give you gifts. The grandpas in the army are the soldiers that are on the last six months of service. So every six months your status changes and your nickname changes. 
So you move from category to category. Now, grandpas are the, the worst. Because they have a right to bully you, to hit you. They have a right to do whatever they want. Because they've, they've been through everything, and they are on their last leg, so to speak. And when you just came to the army, you are the first six months. Your title is a spirit. Now, spirit is, has nothing to do with spiritual things. Spirit means that you're not walking, you're running. You're not working, you're basically moving like a spirit. You're, you're so fast in everything. Unless, if you're not, not fast, you'll be, you'll be beat up, you'll be um, going through all kinds of stuff. So that was a scary part. How are you going to deal with that? I heard stories about other guys like me that were beat up all night ending up in the morning with all kinds of bruises and, and, and scars and, and cuts. Some of them had a broken nose and many of them had teeth knocked out with those heavy boots. So I had a lot of fear. Then you also will deal with the distance because you would be removed from your family and there was no emails, no cell phones. The letters would go for two weeks or three weeks and many times those letters would be lost. So the communication with the family was very, very scarce, to say the least. And then many of those military units were in Siberia, so when you get there, you, you're dealing with all kinds of freezing temperatures. And also, um, there was no proper uniform to basically keep you from freezing. And if you work outside, there are no gloves for soldiers. We never had any gloves for two years. And in, in Russian winter, no gloves is no fun. So I had all kinds of fears. But if you are a believer, you also have to deal with, well, if, even if you're not a believer, you would be dealing with lack of sleep and lack of food, which all the soldiers are super hungry. Because the portions are very small and there is always a uh, uh, shortage of food. So you're always hungry. But if you're a believer, on top of those fears, you have a couple more. Number one, you come to the cafeteria, 80% of the food is contaminated with pork and lard. So basically you can't eat it. You, you're hungry, you see the food, but you can't eat it. It's unclean. Um, so what do you do? The other problem that was part of my fears was Sabbath issue. Because when Sabbath comes and the officer tells you what you need to do, what do you say? I have a higher officer. And he would say, I don't care. I don't believe in your officer. I'm your officer right now. You have to do what I say to you. What do you say back? What do you do? You face the highest court and get imprisoned for 10 to 15 years or sometimes 25. So those were my fears. I don't want to go into more detail, but those thoughts were going through my mind and I didn't know what to do. I had a cousin that lived basically next door to me. He was a couple of years older. His name is Igor. I really like him. And I, today I consider him my brother. He is my cousin, but he was a couple of years older. So one day he showed me, he said, look what I'm doing. I'm like, what are you doing? He says, I found a new hobby. I'm like, what is your hobby? Show me. 
And he pulls out his little notebook. It was like a paper notebook. And he was writing Bible verses in it. I said, why would you do that? He said, well, I have only six months to prepare for the army. I cannot take anything with, with me because when, when you leave your clothes, when you enter the shower and you leave your clothes and they shave your head, you come out on the next uh, other side, you cannot even carry pencil with you. Nothing. No Bible, nothing. So he says, I'm preparing for the army and I'm writing these Bible verses because I want to memorize them. And when they take everything from me, they can't take away my Bible verses from me, I'll, I'll still remember them. And so he says, I don't tell my parents, I just take my Bible and I, I said, okay, let me see, what, what did you write? So he showed me like five, six, seven verses that he just, he just jotted down and memorized. And I liked those verses. They were really good. So next day I'm going to the department store. It was right in the center of town, the big department store. I'm looking for the notebook because I need to get one for myself. And I find this beautiful blue notebook that looks like a leather cover and it looks so, so cool. And I buy it and I come home and I'm hiding in the evening so my parents even don't see it. And I'm choosing the Bible verses from the Bible. Guess which first verse I underlined in my Bible and I copied to my notebook. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The next one I, I recorded was um, Genesis 39.9. How can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? The words of Joseph. He was in a foreign land. Nobody could see him, but he remembered God. And then the other verse I, I recorded was from Ecclesiastes that says, let's hear the substance of all things. Fear God and keep, the, keep his commandments because in it is the whole duty of man. It's pretty simple. I cannot explain to you how it worked, but the word of God has amazing power. It, it took away that fear. I knew I, I can hold on to something. I knew that I have something that other guys don't have. And I cannot explain how it works, but the Word of God has amazing power. And what happened in 1517 and onwards, God brought back the Word of God into His church. And it led to Protestant Reformation, it led to revival, and we are here today because of the Word of God. So how can we live without fear in this time and these days? Bring back the Word of God into your life, into your home, into your family. Bring back the Bible because it has power, and it is light. It is a lamp and it is light it, and, and it will shine brighter and brighter until the perfect day. My friends, the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus. He will see you through. Trust in Him. Place your hand in His hand and ask Him, Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Let me stand.
and He will guide you and see you through. Amen? Amen. Amen. As we close, 